Hey all, welcome to Film Suck, a Patreon podcast in which we ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema. I'm Eileen Jones. I'm Dolores McElroy. And today we are talking about the new hit series Poker Face. Um, its first 10 episode season on Peacock just concluded. And it's received nothing but praise from critics um, uh, who are in, they're especially enthusiastic about star and producer Natasha Leone's performance as Charlie Gale. Um, she's a, a friendly, whiskey-voiced casino hotel, uh, Las Vegas in Las Vegas, uh, cocktail waitress. Um, that's that's in the like opening episode premiere that you know um, where we first meet her. Her amazing ability to tell when someone's lying winds up sending her down a different path from cocktail waitress. <laughs> um, to traveling the country, solving murders everywhere she goes, and all sorts of different little um, strange, uh, offbeat, usually enclaves of American life. Um, this role of a lifetime was created for Leon by um, writer-director Ryan Johnson of Knives Out fame, um, and he's found uh, with with this series yet another way to revive the mystery genre by in this case by adopting the Columbo model, sometimes called. Um, you know, the how done it instead of the who done it because of the structure <laughs> of it. Um, if you recall Columbo, which is definitely worth a revisit. I mean, they're 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 showing it all over the place and again now. Um, it was a mystery of the week t- um series, um, um, which relied on like excellent, often quite well known actors playing very colorful roles, including that of the killer, always a different one, obviously, each week. And of course, you're relying on Peter Falk, great actor, super charming presence to carry you through all of the different scenarios. Um, every week, it changes completely. Um, the narrative structure allows us to see the murder first, um, and so you know who did it, um, and then enjoy the process as Columbo, played by, of course, this wonderful Falk, or in this case, Natasha Leone as Charlie Kale. They come on the scene, you know, figure out how it was done, solve it, figure out what the comeuppance, you know, how to get some sort of comeuppance um, um, for the uh, for the killer or killers. Um, so that's the basic structure. Um, just to go into takes. Well, why don't we go with you first, Loris? What do you what do you think? Uh, I'm obsessed with it. I would unequivocally recommend it to literally anyone. I can't imagine the person who won't like this. It's so well written. Um and I think, like, even if you're just someone who appreciates beautifully shot, well-written TV with excellent mm-hmm. performances, there you go. If mm-hmm. you like mysteries, that's a bonus. And for me, this hits every single personal fantasy <laughs> I would ever have. She gets our 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 protagonist, Charlie, is on the road. Um, have we given a spoilers message? Uh, um, be lots oh, of we should. A lot of spoilers. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, if you haven't watched Poker Face, why? <laughs> and get on that and then <laughs> yeah. listen to this. Yeah. Okay. So turn back now. I'm, I'm going to go with spoilers. <laughs> so uh, I love her whole aesthetic. It's very late 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, her like whole rock and roll vintage look is fabulous. She's got this wacky 70s muscle car. She's driving all around the West and she's off the grid. And these are all the things that I desire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, her whole, her whole like preference for sun baked de- desert rat kind of lifestyle is your whole thing, Dolores. My whole like, fucking Dolores thing is a sun worshiper, so she heads <laughs> to the southwest every chance she gets. Um, and there's you know the wonderful episode, which is the what second to last, called "Escape from Shit Mountain." Yes, where, where Charlie is stuck, kind of in a snowbound state in a you know so that's weather she absolutely hates, desperately trying to escape from this weather back to what where she belongs which is sun bleached hair her hair is wonderful (laughs) in the series it's just so damaged (laughs) by dye wind and weather and yet somehow looks wonderful on her and you wouldn't change it for anything Great. <laughs> it's incredible. It is exactly this the hair that Stevie Nicks had during the Tusk album and tour. Exactly. <laughs> and Natasha Leone, I see you. It's there's no mistaking that hair. That's exactly what it is. And she wears a Fleetwood Mac t-shirt in one of the episodes. So yeah. like I see you. <laughs> there's a lot of savvy cultural referencing going on in this film. And so For if you're sure. an insider of any of it, there the, those are some of the joys of the show. Thrilling. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. thrilling. Yeah, and 
Yeah, it's, uh, oh, I just, I would let, you know, she starts out in Vegas. The second episode is in New Mexico. I knew it was in New Mexico. She wakes up on a park bench and that sky and those clouds, they only exist in New Mexico. And mm-hmm. sure enough, this shit unfurls. They say it's Albuquerque. I don't know where it really is. Mm-hmm. Outside of Bob's Big Burger, shout out. Um, and it, yeah, I don't know. It, um, or I mean, sorry, Blake's Burger, And it, it's great. It's beautiful. I love I love the settings. I love everything about it. I think that we must I, I know that she Natasha Leone is not the show creator. She's a producer. Mm-hmm. Um the guy who created the show is is it Patrick Ryan? No, Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson. I'm so yeah, sorry. No, he's, Those he's are the names creator, that... one of the writers. There's a team of writers, of course, you know, too. So yeah. it's not all on him. And then he's directing certain episodes. I think the first and the last two, something like that couple of okay. ones yeah well he i've seen him and he must be my age because mm. there's something about all these fantasies mm. i am 40 natasha leone's 43 mm-hmm. ryan johnson looks like he's about that age mm-hmm. i think it speaks to the uh, like fantasies of a generation that grew up with one foot in the analog and one foot in the digital and will will like half of my life i lived in an analog way mm-hmm. <laughs> but my life i have lived in the digital way um i think most people on that cusp are not so eager to to embrace the digital wholeheartedly mm-hmm. and this this show i will talk about this in depth mm-hmm. but it's got a real the fantasy is a fantasy of like not living in a way not not being surveilled mm-hmm. <laughs> and just like getting the fuck out of dodge in a way that you used to be able to do uh natasha leone is so charming she's mm-hmm. you know she she's it, she just like gets along well with people, which is why she's able to operate off the grid. You know, she's like very savvy. And Eileen, as you wrote in your review mm. from Jacobin, it's it's so great to see. I mean, it's all a working class milieu. Like mm-hmm. each, you know, nearly each episode, um, with one or two exceptions, it is about working class people. Mm-hmm. And um, and also like the shittiness of the wor- <laughs> the work, mm-hmm. the difficulty of the work, mm-hmm. <laughs> also the camaraderie. Um, it is so, so charming. It is so beautifully done. Um, I look forward to every single episode, like with glee in a way that I haven't looked forward to a show since, well, okay. Hacks like six months ago, but (laughs) (laughs) but that's different. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm anxious to, to talk in more depth, but, Mm -hmm. um, the, the actors they are hiring to appear as guest stars true to the Columbo model. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Uh, like you know, Ellen Barkin, Nick Nolte, Cherry Jones, Cherry Jones, yeah, uh, insane. Like everyone is so freaking excellent. Uh, Ron Perlman, who, and I'm sorry they killed off Ron Perlman. Oh my god! I like I was, I was sad. He was great. Oh, oh, I was hoping Charlie would work for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, Cleo Duvall plays her sister at, on the last episode. Oh, Those of you who are Wow. Amazing mm-hmm. fans of, but I'm a cheerleader. We'll remember mm-hmm. Cleo Duvall, also who was also in Girl Interrupted. Um, yeah, just can't say enough good things. Yeah, so, Eileen, why don't you say some good things? <laughs> oh, it's. I mean, you know, I have to echo some. I mean, it's so. I can't even say what it, the the pleasures are. So that you kind of forget because we really don't do this kind of content anymore, and that's been Ryan Johnson's magic secret. He's found a way to take. Uh, you know, a, a perennial favorite genre, the mystery genre, and f- and sort of refresh it so that you can keep a lot of what was already established, but you you put a top spin on it that makes it new for people. So of course he did that with Knives Out and the Glass Onion thing, and you know, but now he's he's showing well he can just easily pivot to just a, a slightly different form from the classic Agatha Christie esque who done it to this kind of this kind of Columbo, how done it, and you know they the way they preserve the the font from the from the Columbo show for this show, and if you go back to look at any of the Columbo episodes, which most people you know who are you know my age especially, um, uh, you were there for Columbo. Columbo was a perennial and always running, um, but you might not remember the details of it. You just remember the general experience of loving Peter Falk and the guest stars and the blah. But the, but you'll go back and see the specific the specificity is insane, like how yeah. much they're keeping and recovering and paying tribute. To. So mm-hmm. in the very last um, of the shows of this season, 
you'll see that there's this gun that's a big important gun. If you go look at the first episode of Columbo, first, yep. season, first episode, there's the gun. <laughs> yes. Exactly the same gun in close up. So you can see it's the same fucking gun they had recreated. Uh, and, you know, it's in it. And, and again, the level of talent involved in the show is, you know, it's directed by young Steven Spielberg. It's written by young Steven Bochco. It's, you yes. know, it's, there's just all this heavy hitting talent. Of course, fuck. Good God. Um, and then, you know, great guest stars and the whole thing is, is, is already there. And so, but it's just a level of memory. And I gather that, you know, Ryan Johnson and um, uh, Natasha Leone are both major buffs when it comes to all sorts of things. And they share a lot in common. A lot of their working out of how he was going to come up with this character for her was them getting together for dinners and stuff and spitballing things that they both loved. So things mm. like, I don't know. Altman's The Long Goodbye, so so a kind of skewed version of the Raymond Chandler, Philip Marlowe, that's totally quintessentially 1970s, if you've ever seen <laughs> the great movie, The Long Goodbye. So it's th these kind of very specific <laughs> references that they're, that they're both obsessed with. Um, so that that's coming out. And, but again, in this kind of tricky, trickier way, where you're getting layers of homage and reference, et cetera, Mm -hmm. um, to older forms that go back into like say film noir and you know their whole Raymond Chandler tradition but you skew it through something and you know that's going to come down to detailed things we'll get I hope we'll, we'll spend some time a little later talking about the amazing soundtrack but I'll just give one example um, there's the, the, the Bob Dylan in the last episode there's particularly wonderful music and their uh, song choices and there's the, the version of um, Bob yes! Dylan's classic song, Don't Think Twice, It's All Right, but it's sung by Burl Ives. <laughs> I almost lost my mind. I know, which so I, didn't good. Even, I didn't even know it existed, and it's so fucking good. And, you know, Burl Ives is kind of a square folk singer. He made himself square and stayed popular by doing these kind of appeal to children things. Like, yep. he does the Big Rock Candy Mountain, but it's the G-rated kids version with no references to liquor and jail and all that jazz <laughs> or you know he plays the snowman and rudolph the red-nosed reindeer he does the voice sings holly jolly christmas and all that jazz so okay but i also just but oh, cat on oh, a hot tin roof which oh, i just taught this week he's of course um big daddy, big daddy. <laughs> um yeah so he had this interesting career multifaceted so you could know one form of her lives and not the other and so to have him doing this dylan classic and doing this great job of it oh, and fuck. her lives that you associate with also these kind of kitty kitty folk songs just mind-blowing somehow in its perfection yeah, um, there's something about, and like that was the Ron Perlman episode. There's something yeah. very Burl Lives about Ron Perlman. There is. So, yeah. Because it's got the same kind of quality. He can play these very serious, but then he's he's, he's Hellboy and he's, you know, right. he's TV's Beauty and the Beast. And he's He's got all of these different moves he's made in his career that, that make him now a very beloved figure. You're right. That's very true. I hadn't even thought of that. There's something yeah. similar in that. It's um, perfect. But it, <laughs> but it's this kind of entertainment. So th that's, this is my favorite thing. This is what I loved as a child more than anything, like watching Looney Tunes cartoons, which are still the, probably the, the, the quintessential influence on my young life, <laughs> is they had exactly that same immediacy where you could be five or you could be 50 and getting tremendous levels of enjoyment because it's, it's for a five-year-old, it's got the bright colors and the, and the funny and the memorable characters and the and the slapstick and all of this stuff that's very immediate and if yeah. you're 50 it's got all this sideways <laughs> brilliant humor and referencing going on so that you can just go deeper and deeper and deeper and and it's still wonderful yeah that this is this is the kind of entertainment that used to be fairly normal it's not like they turned out all of this all of it was nearly this good but at its best a lot of what hollywood could crank out in its glory or more glorious eras of like intensive production making a lot of stuff is mm -hmm. you could get this kind of entertainment and it is entertainment first it's first we just want to delight you that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole thing. We want you to love this and therefore pay to see it or whatever. Um, that's why you go. And it's, a, again, that immediacy. It's just a joy. So, yeah, Poker Face is circled for Thursday on my calendar like it's the old days in the, with the TV guide, practically. Like, <laughs> it's Thursday. There's another episode. In fact, I'm going to be bereft because, you know, there won't be one. for. I know. Come back. I know, because it's just so wonderful and so rare now to have this. We are just here to delight you. That's number one thing. Yeah. 
it just seems like that's rarer and rarer. It's almost like that's an old fashioned form of entertainment that died. And now we do these other things. <laughs> you are so right. You're so right. And yeah, yeah, it is absolutely that mass entertainment, like very entertaining on the surface. Mm. And then there are layers and layers and layers if yes. you want to think about it harder. If you want to, yeah. If you want to sink in, you can keep sinking. Yeah, Hitchcock yeah. is a perfect example of someone who mastered this. Yeah. You know, so you could take him as light as you want. This is just, oh, light, thrilling Hitchcock. It's like, as he used to, he would say, my movies are slices of cake. Then he realized <laughs> he could go another way and also be appreciated as a great art film director, like yeah. a true artist. And he realizes that, you know, the Cahiers du Cinema critics are going to go for this in a big way. And he's 100% there. Yes. If you want to talk about my films as intensely psychologically weighty um artistic triumphs i'm all um, i'm i'm that too you can yeah. have your cake and have your art too <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly um yeah and that used to be really the way to win in hollywood if you really wanted to, to succeed that was what you did you made sure that the masses were entertained and you did stealth art mm-hmm. america was great at that because america was didn't trust art Right. That was a European thing or felt to didn't feel culturally rich enough to do it or whatever. So there was this real used to be in the old days of show business. No one would call themselves an artist mm-hmm. because it, you just you were just hopelessly hoity toity and ridiculous if you did, if you were working in the movies. Mm-hmm. So they if people who were brilliant geniuses would just scorn the idea. They'd all say, I'm look, I'm just I'm just good at my job. It's a job. Yeah. <laughs> at most it's a craft. Yeah. But nobody wanted to cop to being an artist. Well, now you can't throw a rock without hitting an art. Everybody's an artist. Every jerk is an artist, you know? So, you know, so that's, it's, there's just these kinds of joys that you, that, that, again, you can get as deep as intellectual, as detailed and specific as you want to, or you can back right the hell off and go, I just want to get drunk and watch Poker Face. Either one. Exactly. And this, this very nicely complements Charlie's own attitude towards life. Yes. Uh, You know, (laughs) it's like, so Charlie has this, do we already set up like she's got this talent? Um, Just briefly, we should probably say more. She's a, they keep describing her as a human lie detector. She just can, she can just detect bullshit and she says bullshit automatically. It just comes out of her mouth when somebody lies. Yeah. And so she's, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. ahead. Well, it's just that it's fun. She has some funny lines about it because when she's in the first episode where she's being quizzed about what this is, like, you know, you know what the truth is. She's like, no, no, no. Or it's some mystical thing. And she's like, no, (laughs) there's nothing mystical. It just feels off. Yeah. And it's also all so all pervasive. Everybody's lying all the time. So she says it's like birds chirping. You know, (laughs) people (laughs) are lying constantly, but they're usually lying for some dumb reason. Yeah, you know, nevertheless, as, as she gets more and more into this lying connected to murder, it seems like that becomes more and more where she's able to focus in on, oh, that's a lie. That's a significant lie. And yeah. 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 But carry on. Well, no, I can't. Oh, God, I can't love the show hard enough, first of all, because like my mind has just been on the I mean, so I've been teaching this Tennessee Williams class and Mm. speaking of mendacity, just the way that, you know, everything's full of shit. Most most of what you see is full of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I'm so relieved to see a female lead. That's not a strong, independent woman. I mean, she is, she is yeah. that, but mm-hmm. she also has a view of herself. This mobster offers her a bunch of money to help him, mm-hmm. you know, during a poker game, uh, use her lie detector skills to profit. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know what? Nah, I'm still pretty much a dumbass, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm doing just fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. She doesn't have a lot of ambition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's got this talent. It actually got her into some trouble. She mm-hmm. she did play some poker games and profited. Um, but like, there's this loser dumb about her, which is mm-hmm. absolutely wonderful and freeing. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> not everybody has to be an ambitious girl boss. God, what what an absolute relief! Oh yeah, and, that one and, scene in the I think it's in the first the first episode where she comes she lives in this crapped out trailer in the desert and yeah that's when she's still being a cocktail waitress and she comes out in the morning and she's still in her outfit from the night you don't even know she's wearing <laughs> what like, is that? shorts and boots and, yeah. and she's got a sweater on and she just comes out and sits in some crappy lawn chair <laughs> and just starts <laughs> shit, shooting the shit with her neighbor and cautioning him i don't know not to steal anymore because uh whatever um yeah. because she just doesn't want to have to bail him out if he gets caught or whatever you know it's, but it's all super friendly and incredibly accepting and she seems happy because it's just it's just showing you exactly what we all don't have now 
Yeah. She just found her niche in the world. She's got a job. It pays the bill. She and maybe enough extra she can buy her, you know, her cigarillos and shit. You know, yeah. and she doesn't want any more. She just yeah. like, no, I can relax. I can relax in my life. She's got good friends. Oh. She's got the sun, you know? And what is so refreshing is like, okay, so there's Charlie's own attitude, but then there's also like the level I've been thinking so much about just how, you know, obviously this is not a uh, and in, like a, an amazing insight, but mm-hmm. most most mass media is is bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really is. Like mm-hmm. all of the stereo, and it's okay. You know, everything has its function. Sometimes we need propaganda for like positive representation or whatever the fuck you want to get out of it. Some feeling of empowerment. You know, mm-hmm. uh, most but most m- most works of television and film don't speak to anything that is real about one's life Mm -hmm. at all they bear no resemblance to reality Mm -hmm. especially the ones that feature positive representation like laboriously Mm -hmm. and this show somehow manages to be hilarious Mm -hmm. um you know have like a complex and for lack of a better word strong female character Mm -hmm. and also like not be full of shit you know like somehow there's some texture here and there is the there is the fact that people lie but she's not sanctimonious and it's also not saying like everyone has to tell the truth all the time she acknowledges Mm -hmm. people lie for stupid shit reasons that's Mm -hmm. just like something there's something like a generous hearted about this. Like you mm-hmm. have to forgive humanity for lying. Mm-hmm. And th- like in, in so many ways, like the general culture is so unyielding, puritanical mm-hmm. and ends up producing not truth with their puritanism and demand for like, you know, no human frailty. It ends up producing nothing but nonstop mendacity, mm-hmm. just absolutely garbage representations that have mm-hmm. nothing to do with the world as it is. This somehow has to do with the world as it is and and is also fun as hell. <laughs> oh, no, kind a, of great, a-, a great example would be um, the Escape from Shit Mountain episode where yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a brief interlude where good things happen for Charlie, but a couple of times she's kind of propositioned by men or whatever, and she keeps saying, who, who invite her to go somewhere else, and she says, I have a strict no second location, <laughs> location. rule that has yeah. always stood me in good stead. It, it kept me from being zodiac once. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, in other words, she wasn't killed by a serial killer one time, but it's played yeah. so lightly in a, as a, almost kind of muttering aside. And she, yeah. the, but the, one of the times she's propositioned by this godlike guy in a lumberjack flannel shirt <laughs> who wants to show her Magic Mountain, like this incredibly musical, beautiful view that is going to beguile her enough to keep her there too long <laughs> until it's winter. Yeah. Uh, but at any rate, she, he, she, so she's telling him her no second location rule, and he takes his shirt off, and she's like, "Well, we all got to go sometime." But it's just like a masterpiece <laughs> of like muttered half asides. I mean, W. C. Fields would have to admire this delivery; it's so well done. Yeah. Um, but th- as a way of pointing up, you know, women are vulnerable; they get preyed on, especially sing- uh, someone who's as single woman as she is, in that she just goes around, goes everywhere. Yeah, lives yep. her life. Um, pretty fearlessly, but th- but just acknowledging that reality and that you have to have coping strategies, which is the truth of all women's lives. Every woman you ask, what? Absolutely. How do you negotiate X? And every woman will be like, I do this, 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 and this. Yep. <laughs> Often they have to ha- be asked because they don't even think about it. They just absorb yeah. it. Um, so it was such a nice humorous aside. And then at the same time acknowledging, but there's going to be desire. You're going to want somebody. And you're going to have to figure out, how do I negotiate that now? Yeah, you're going to have to risk it. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to have to take a risk. Because, you know, sex has always got a danger aspect. Always. I don't care how safe you try to make it. We've talked about this at length. But at any rate, so well handled. And it's just in its subtlety. Acknowledge the reality, but you don't have to make a big sanctimonious phony mess about it. Exactly. It's yeah it is oh god it's so good and it also just like illustrates the dream like the ultimate dream i i think one of the dreams of feminism is like women have the freedom to move about Mm. (laughs) and like this is it's something that this is it man this is it it is oh god it's so good it's so good you know it's built in of course and admittedly it's a fear-based build she's being pursued after what happens in the, the the premiere episode She's on the run. 
Um, yeah. We, I, we won't, we don't have to spoil that. There's compl- complexities arise. Yeah. So things don't go well. There are consequences. It isn't her fault. Nevertheless, um, dangerous people, especially, especially the Ron Perlman guy, who's a, um, you know, a really formidable casino owner who's so tough. He's been keeping the mob out of his casino, which how you do that, I don't know. But um, <laughs> um, but he's scary and he's determined to, to have her tracked down by his kind of enforcer figure, who's Cliff Legrand, played by Benjamin Bratt, who, by the mm-hmm. way, is showing what he's made of as an actor and as a, someone who should have been a big star. He's so good yeah. in this. It's yeah. just scary. You're just like, how could he have been hiding in plain sight all this time and never gotten this role that shows everything? He's funny. <laughs> he's kind of scary. But he's also yeah. really slick and good looking, and he's—you can tell—he's really into being slick. So he he's hates- like more, oh, more ahead. handsome than just more handsome oh, than ever. Exactly, he's just getting better yeah. and better looking as he ages. Yeah. And he, but he has a wonderful thing again in this—is it—is it the last second to last episode? Of the last episode where he, you get the montage of what his life has been chasing Charlie for over a year. <laughs> Yeah, you know he thinks he's going to be able to catch her quick, <laughs> yeah. and it's just drag. And he's having to live in shitty motels. And he says, "You wouldn't even believe the kinds of things I've had to eat <laughs> out here in the heartland." <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> While he's chasing her and chasing her, he gets addicted to burn notice on TV in his bad <laughs> hotel so rooms. I mean, it's just beautifully, beautifully done. So yeah. at any rate, um, so there's a fear fear basis for why she has to keep moving. But the interesting thing is the lifestyle that she has to adopt of just constantly being on the move. And if anything identifies her, there's someone tells her early on, it takes about four hours for them, for someone who wants to find you to find you. Mm. You have four hours from the time. I don't know. Someone posts a photo of you online that identifies your location or anything identifies your location. Oh Um, my God. That's that's the digital world that gets established. I think it's part, you know, the second episode. Mm -hmm. So it's always four hours. She's got until she's got to hit, hit the road again um and there's all this danger because you know her car will run out of gas she's always desperately short of money she can only take jobs where she gets paid cash you know again nothing can be nothing can register in the (laughs) digital system so she she, so she's always running out of money and always in desperate her car will break things happen that have to do with having no money and being working class person that's also Mm -hmm. wonderfully represented but the odd thing is it's so right for charlie in a way that it wouldn't be right for most of us yeah, absolutely. She loves people. She's interested in everything. She's up for anything. Some of the yeah. jobs she's good at, some of the jobs she's terrible at. <laughs> jobs are hard. <laughs> yeah. um, but that she's always ready for the next thing. Um, and so, yes, it's so exciting to watch because just like, wow, a woman who just lives on the road, it's Thelma and Louise if they somehow could have lived. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Complete yeah. with like the best looks of all time. Oh, just let's like, talk about it. it's one of the pleasures. Uh, and again, this is very old Hollywood where you looked forward to seeing what people were wearing. Usually it was because <laughs> it was they were wearing spectacular stuff like Lana Turner or somebody would come yep. in in some insane outfit in every single scene, you know, some ridiculous star get up. But it would be fascinating in and of itself. This is not that. This is all way down. In fact, it's designed. No, I, I had to memorize the name of the woman who's the costumer. Oh, Gigi Freed, something Gigi Tracy Gigi Freed. I think it's okay. Pressed. It's F R I E D. I just read a little interview with her because I was so into into the look. And she's and it, she, her directive from Ryan Johnson was her initial outfits. Essentially, once she hits the road, are whatever she threw into the back of the car. Yeah. Okay? So it's going to be really limited. But as she goes, just start thinking in terms of what did she pick up for cheap. Yep everywhere she went yeah so now she's got different sun- now instead of her usual aviators she's got elvis sunglasses she probably bought them in a drugstore somewhere <laughs> exactly you know? so it's that kind of thing what would you get in this kind of area in this kind of area what t-shirt would you have what uh, what would your jean what would your belt she has that nice belt that southwestern Ugh. style belt on the black tight flag jeans yeah nice yeah Nice, this nice girl time. is bringing vests back, like single-handedly, which I've been waiting for. Come on, let's get on it. <laughs> She's got all these amazing vests, and yeah, her like uniform is those skinny black jeans. Mm-hmm. Some vintage T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's got these great, like several pairs of great boots. Let's not lie. Yeah. They're these like short suede teal numbers. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a pair this summer. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I'm going to, I mean, I wouldn't even say I'm copying her because like this obviously comes out of like late seventies rock and roll. Oh, absolutely. And, 
Yeah. yeah. It's a look you, you already know when it's just got the, it's just the seeing the flourishes. What are the flourishes? You know, oh, which they're every time you want the trucker caps she'll wear that she looks great in. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. And it just makes you, it's the kind of like, these are the kind of clothes that are sexy, but you feel protected. You know, yeah. they're not like exposing. Like it's a great look for just feeling like, you know, hot, but like also in control, <laughs> you mm. know? And can yeah. do anything. You're like, you got jeans and a t-shirt on a little jacket and stuff you're you're going to be able to crawl under a car or something if you need to exactly <laughs> move around <laughs> yeah that's it that's yeah. it yeah yeah it's, so oh it's the best it's a, <laughs> so, really it is it's a, it's a low-key thrill just to be registering from from episode to episode and sometimes even scene to scene what is what is charlie wearing <laughs> yeah and you know she can really rock these things with style she can wear clothes well so that's also a gift which you know someone like lana turner actually couldn't <laughs> that's true <laughs> you, know, you can hang a lot of clothes on her but somehow she didn't wear things with panache but certain stars of course were stars because Kay francis's whole career was almost that she could really she could really wear clothes um, yeah and people wanted to see her in something different in every damn scene and they didn't care if it was plausible or not um, right right but yeah here this is a this is a very working class low-key version of that if you were ever a thrift store person or anything you're just like ah oh, respect respect yeah <laughs> Oh, wow. That's a good look. Yeah. 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 So, and that's it. And she, it, it, oh, damn. I had it. Where did my point go? <laughs> Where did my point go? <laughs> was it another uh, thing that she was wearing? It was about clothes. Oh, in real life, Natasha mm. Leone is like really experimental on yes. the red carpet. I've she wears some of her outfits. Wow. Yeah. Almost like Lady Gaga, borderline dominatrix things uh-huh. happening. It's uh-huh. really interesting, but um, it's so funny because you're right. I mean, she has a lot of old movie star qualities, mm. but in the most interesting, like weird juxtapositions, like obviously, well, she's not traditionally feminine. If you don't mm. know her, she's kind of got, looks like a Muppet. She's got, yeah. <laughs> she's got these like big brown eyes and this big mouth. And she's got the voice of like an old mobster or something like, yeah. I don't know. Or- 1940s you know heavy smoking hollywood star like betty yeah or lauren mccall or they all smoked like chimneys they all a lot of them drank and you get that whiskey smoker kind of voice yeah which Which she's had since she was 12 (laughs) which she's always had and then she on top of it she's lived the life so natasha leone also has kind of street cred because people know i think you know she her 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 attempts to quit smoking have been have been you know, very strongly documented and followed. Yeah. <laughs> because she's been such a smoker all over. Like, guess what she did? She she's in a born eccentric. She took up she took up uh surfing. And she said, <laughs> Well, you can't really have a cigarette out there on the board, so it's really helping. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, just a tip for any of you people who are trying to quit smoking, take up surfing. I mean, that's just the most random, insane thing, but it's somehow uh, wonderful. It's hysterical. Um, you know, she was she went through a really heavy period of of drug addictions you're addicted to heroin yeah. at least i don't know maybe more things had to go to rehab um big contention at an apartment that she had bought out of her early early acting money and she came up against another actor michael rapaport who was behind having her thrown out of the building <laughs> i guess it was her heavy drug use days i don't know what she was she was at any rate he seems like a jerk but yeah who knows what was going on a lot probably so anyway so she's got a really dramatic um history of living the life um her whole life is fascinating it really she was thrown into into showbiz early by her parents so she was acting at six i think mm. um you know which she has acknowledged i didn't have the best parent she's estranged from her parents um i didn't have the oh, best parents. I didn't know that. maybe not the best idea to throw a six-year-old <laughs> <laughs> and she had that complicated history where she went to some tony private girls school a boarding school but she was on a scholarship so there's all this thing with the money Mm. she's like in rich people world often but she's somehow in an equivocal position there financially like somehow she doesn't have the money even though she's among the money um can do interesting things to a sensibility you know and it seems to have like she was i think she was boarding school that she was thrown out of. she was thrown out of some school for selling (laughs) for selling pot and she was asked about it and she's like, eh, it's just an American teenage rite of passage. Like, like, yeah. she's very Charlie-esque in a lot of her comments. 
which oh, makes you sure. realize the extent to which he based this on her personality um, and parts of her yeah. personality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So she, her, her first major role is on Pee Wee's Playhouse, you know, so already cool. You know, she just has mm-hmm. cool cred beyond, beyond most people. And then she's in For sure. fave movies like, oh, Slums of Beverly Hills and But I'm a Cheerleader. She was in American Pie, which is a big, you know, huge hit franchise for a while there. And then in mm-hmm. recent TV, she's like the queen of cool television. Russian yep. Doll, the lead in Russian Doll, a major role in Orange is the New Black. She got an Emmy for it. Um, you know, so she's she's just had this career that somehow never broke her out into huge stardom. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. because we're in a rotten era. That's all I yeah. can assume. She's so charismatic and completely totally. watchable. But that's, of course, the thing. She could actually be thrown into a position like Peter Falk, where where the whole, you're the linchpin of the whole series that changes around you every week and we have to like you enough that we will follow you anywhere and they do the same thing with her that's gonna take a lot it takes a lot of showbiz seasoning to be able to pull yeah. that off it, yeah it's very true she also i mean this is she does a very homage obvious homage to colombo with her own like cigarillos you know yes. colombo's always chewing on one of those and is like sure, just one more yeah. thing well, and she's a wonderful walk. She's a wonderfully specific walk that yeah. you only really notice in certain scenes. But early on, you watch her, and she's kind of shambling. You know, and if you remember, he would always kind of shamble. There's all this stuff yeah. of like allowing people to scorn you, so they think you're not as smart as you are. She yeah. does that really well. So, and she is naturally friendly. It's not 100 percent a lie in either case. They both are naturally gregarious, talkative people, and everything else. But she does this kind of shambling, round-shouldered gait. In a couple of early <laughs> scenes where you can see the extent to which, you know, it's half honest, but half augmented as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a wonderful, mm-hmm. There is a wonderfully acted bit in the very first scene where someone is recounting to her how, that he knows about this gift she had and how she once used it to make a lot of money. And then she got busted um, out of, you know, big, big stakes poker games. She was using it to win big. And that's how she she winds up involved with the the frost father and son who run this casino in the first place. Um, mm-hmm. And he's describing all this to her and they they kind of dolly into a close up on on Leon's face as her eyes are just glinting more and more, like showing how much intelligence, <laughs> how yeah. savvy she is, which she is, is, you know, is is easy to disguise. Most people aren't paying attention. But she's she's got it cloaked most of the time and she lets it all just glimmer there for a minute. And it's really, really well done. Yeah, yeah, that is so true. Uh, And you're like in your review, I know you connected that to a very working class experience of life, not wanting to necessarily like flaunt one's intelligence or skill. Because um, most people don't want to hear it or know about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's got no place in the world that you're in. If you're whatever, you're waiting tables, um, you're working a crap job in an office, whatever. If, if anything, it just it just identifies you as someone who's wrongly placed and nobody mm-hmm. likes to see that. Yeah. You can literally lose jobs because people think, oh, you're too uppity and you think you've got too much on the ball for this job, don't you? And you'll wind up not getting hired. <laughs> I mean, there yeah. are practical consequences for working class people to let anyone know. I'm, I'm way smart. I'm way gifted. I've had a very unusual, interesting life. I, that's all the stuff you keep under wraps and you only gradually find out. That's quite typical. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, once again, thrilling in that they seem to get this how they get this goddamn divine oh but they they apparently do because there it is in the show so i really love that part of it yeah and i mean she also acts extremely well i don't know if she had a hand in in choosing the guest stars Mm -hmm. because a lot of them are people she's worked with before yeah i think um i think so but also i was i mean there are a couple Okay, there are people like Nick Nolte, Ellen Barkin. Um, pe- like Nick Nolte has a long history as an addict. Mm-hmm. I wondered if she kind of, you know, gave him a threw him this episode. Oh, as I like because I, yeah. I have an anecdote on that one from the many interviews I've read. He was oh. the one of all these people, and she's brought in just formidable talent. The only one who made her a little nervous, like to meet him, because uh. she's such an admirer of his work. And they got along just great. And if you know anything about Nolte. That's not always the case. He's a really difficult, <laughs> difficult figure for all sorts of reasons. And he's just a wreck. He's just human wreckage at this point. Yeah. <laughs> and he looks it. Um, but she, they loved each other. And he said almost immediately, 
you're just like me, kid. And what do you oh, mean by God. that? I don't even know. But the mind I got reels. chills, I think, in a bad way. Um, <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. But yeah, they totally, totally hit it off like a burn, a, a raging fire of like. Um, so, yeah. So I think it sounds like she's got a lot of influence. She's got a lot of influence in general. I mean, there are people who are attributing to her the great tone on the set, which suggests she's acting like a real producer, not a fake producer. And she and Maya Rudolph. Are, oh, are, yeah. are, are together in animal productions that, that you'll see the credit that's yeah. them i did not know that that is gene i know my yeah. so maya rudolph is also a producer and also yeah producer. i guess yeah i but, guess they met at some like new york fashion week oh god <laughs> they were, like walked they walked 50 blocks together and like formed a lifelong friendship oh my god <laughs> so, that's really cool yeah but, but yeah so she's a number of the stars who want to come back and they all want to come back Everyone who's done a role already, like Cherry Jones, for example, says, I, I just, is there, can you rewrite me one and I'll play someone totally different and show up again? Because <laughs> I okay. loved it so much. And they're saying it's, a lot of them are saying it's her. Not only uh, is she charming and funny and they love her, but she, they said as much as she's like, she'll, she's there to help get the work done and everything, but she just sets such a great, relaxed tone. And for women, uh, especially, and I think I mentioned this in, in I think it might have been our last episode, there's a, yeah. a remarkable interview with Ellen Barkin in which she talks about how horribly she's been treated by male producers, um, mainly male producers and directors, too, um, in her career that has made her so wary about doing any more work. And so she doesn't yeah. do a lot of it. But she said it was just so great to just feel completely taken care of, like no one's going to scream at me. There's going to be no hostility. There's no going to be no weirdness. There's got, no, not at all. It's perfect for women. Couldn't say enough. Yeah. Ellen Barkin played <laughs> this woman who's an actress and she ends up, she was like a famous soap opera actress and Tim Meadows is her mm -hmm. sort of like on again, off again, love. Mm -hmm. It's a long story, but they end up doing the equivalent of like some like covering Tennessee Williams at dinner yeah. in dinner theater in Florida. Yeah. And it's so freaking entertaining. Ellen Barkin is amazing. Cherry Jones is in the episode with Nick Nolte. It's yeah. one of my favorites of the series. Yeah. Uh, Cherry Jones, who's like a formidable, well-respected Broadway actress, yeah. or sorry, I'm supposed to say actor these days. Um, I'm sad because I would want to be an actress, but that's okay. I totally respect people's right. Right. <laughs> desire to be an actress. It's a great word. Full of, full actress. Of resonance that you can't get out of the word actor so yeah. totally yeah. like i heard in italy that they call you professoressa and i was like that's what i want <laughs> <laughs> but i know i get it it's fine i will go call people actors because that's what they want um so cherry is was uh, gave one of the best performances i have ever seen her give. she was scared to do it she was actually afraid oh. to do it she's like it's so big am i gonna like do a face plant and make myself ridiculous and I guess her partner said, you know, do it. It's the cool people television show. <laughs> Everyone behind the scenes is cool. The people who are going on, Tim Blake Nelson, you know, there's so many people who are cool, who have like cred in movies. Yeah. You got to do it for that reason alone. And then she's like, yeah, and you got to, you know, you got to be brave. So she finally agreed to do it. She's great. She, she's really fantastic. She's a great, you know, batshit crazy <laughs> film producer who succeeded through sheer insane, ruthless um <laughs> lying and terrible <laughs> behavior of every kind up to and including just easy easy murder just a natural murderess and i guess we can't say murderess either murderer oh that's um, a shame because a shame. let's reclaim it we're gonna say it with full awareness of, <laughs> yeah, the, right. of the ideological battles that have gone on and we're gonna reclaim it <laughs> because, <laughs> I think we because the feminine is not something to be ashamed of um i reclaim it with power okay yeah. anyway go ahead. <laughs> Perfect. um yes yeah and you know there's so. there's very tv veteran sisters uh, who are the showrunners by the way so um um i don't know if it's lila or lila and Nora Zuckerman, or a sister team, who've been who've been writers and producers in TV for quite for a while now. Yeah, um, cool. So that's another you know thing where there's just a lot of women in positions of power, and I don't know how how what the division in the writing team is. I haven't seen anyone identifying who's actually in the writing room, but um, yeah, it just seems like there's yeah there's just various ways that it's been made. I hate to use the word safe space; it's so wimpy, but it just seems like. You, you need not fear, <laughs> yeah. which I don't think is the case with most, I, most, most filmmaking and TV production sounds pretty brutal, frankly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You'll mm -hmm. hear, hear more horror stories than not. There's all sorts of permission for absolutely heinous behavior. 
that <sighs> anyone who even catches the fringe of showbiz is just it's just, it's shocking. It's just shocking. Uh, it's not just permitted, it's practically encouraged. So when you read <laughs> about some star or director almost always male going off in some insane way, that's not in a vacuum. That's like normal. That's, yeah. that's horrifyingly normalized. Um, yeah. And then one person will get caught on tape and it'll be like, oh, pearl clutching time. And you're like, what are you doing? It, this goes on all the time. It's completely <sighs> the norm. <laughs> so <sighs> this is a case of, of exception. So that's nice to hear about. It's so great. Because you know Judith Light would not tolerate that. Um, oh, I know. She's also gives an amazing. That's a really eye-popping. Um, Y'all, Judith she, Light and Essie Path and Merkerson are, yeah. they're like fellow radicals. Um, yeah. And they're in, an, in a retirement home. Yeah. Uh, they're, you know, like 60s era radicals. It is yeah. so great. Natasha yeah. Leone becomes their best friend. Right. Shenanigans ensue. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite episodes. They are yeah. so good. They're, they're so, so good. good. It's really very, very hilarious. <laughs> I mean, my only disappointment is that in the end, well, should I, it's a spoiler. You can, yeah, you're not allowed to love them all the way through because they turn that's out to be people. And suddenly we but have But that's to, good too. That's know, juicy. I guess. I guess. <laughs> I, I was a little, getting a little ideologically nervous, however. Like, oh God, really? And then she becomes friends with the FBI agent. But at least she keeps turning him down. He keeps trying to hire her. He's played by Simon Helberg of Big Bang Theory and, and mm -hmm. some other stuff. Um, and, and it's kind of a cute relationship and he keeps trying to recruit her for the FBI and she keeps saying, I don't really work for the man. <laughs> yeah. So that's good. That salvages it. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I know what you mean about that episode, but, um, yeah, it's still good. I, I also like. Uh, I like si what's his name Simon Helberg. Yeah. Um, his character's hysterical when he's really first funny. introduced. He's like driving, you know, mobsters and witness protection around, yeah. and he's such adult. Like he misses all of the clues, <laughs> and yeah. like even the mobster. First of all, he's taking a call, a work call, on speaker, <laughs> on speaker. with some old mafia don in the in the car, <laughs> and the, the mafia guy's like you know solving it for him. Um, it's, yes. it's hysterical because he's only this low level. Like nobody FBI guy, but because of working with Charlie, he keeps solving. It's all her <laughs> solving cases and getting promoted. And as he says, "Well, I'm at the end of in the last episode, I'm sticking with you because I'm going to be head of the bureau in a few weeks at this rate really? because she just keeps throwing him upward." <laughs> so it's... yeah, that's nice. And that she won't join is great. Of course, this is show would end, so we can't have that. But um, yeah, exactly. It's exactly. horrible just knowing you. And you just think this could go on for ten years. You could just go on and on with this. I forget how long Columbo ran. <laughs> it seemed like it ran a long, like twelve time. years or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could foresee this being a possibility. I mean, it's an evergreen thing. Though I, you know, I the one bad review, which is in BuzzFeed, and then in my comment section, one person on on Facebook also said the same thing. Some people hmm. do not like the formula quality. Hmm. Oh yeah, I I, yeah. Too. But so they, they don't like the way it's every week. It's exactly the same. And there is a, a nice, interesting flourish that they add to the Columbo formula, which is, again, you, you're introduced to the, the scenario first before before the detecting figure Columbo or, you know, Charlie Kale comes on the scene. You see you see you're introduced to the people in the very specific, you know, place in american culture say it's the barbecue um the barbecue yeah. one in texas is all about a place where you know there's a, a, a barbecue an outdoor barbecue restaurant and there's a barbecue master um who's working who works it's a brother team one runs the business and one is the the artist um chef um but but at any rate you start you start there and you take it up through the murder and you see the murder done so you know the whole thing but then usually with columbia then you just bring him in as the detective and then 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 you follow but in this you bring when you bring in charlie you you rewind and you reintroduce charlie she's already been there but we, mm -hmm. but we didn't see her from her angle until you redo it in montage form so like yeah. in the rock group one when it's a you know a failed rock group, but on, you know, these terrible shitty tours of, you know, Irish pubs in Iowa and shit. Um, yeah. She it's a metal, down, it's a metal group. Yeah. yeah, so <laughs> yeah. A metal group trying to make a comeback. She gets hired as the, as the selling merchandise, the quote unquote merch girl. And, mm -hmm. um, you just reconceive the same scenes you've already seen, but now you widen the angle so that you see her in the foreground folding t-shirts and sh stuff at her table. 
Um, but it's the same scene you already saw before. So you reintroduce the whole thing with her already planted there knowing the people. So it, it's true. It sticks to that every time. It's the same scenario, but it's just all the details are different. It's different place, different people, different murder, different everything. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. I just love it. I, I, but I, I have nothing against formula because I love genre stuff. I always yeah. think, sure, you've got the formula, but everything else has got to be new and dynamically interesting. To me, it's more challenging than than doing artwork. I'd rather do a coming-of-age tale based on my own poignant experiences any day <laughs> than have to inherit a formula and do justice to it. It's just hard as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and any kind of plotting is hard. I don't care. If you, do, if you are not naturally gifted, which Ryan Johnson is, he's just a fountain apparently of plot that's <laughs> gripping like immediately engaging it's got to be you don't have time to, to not throw you into a scenario and have you immediately interested that's the whole thing immediately you want to know um he's just got a gift for that thing so i'm never bored by this kind of this never bothers me but the, for the people who don't like it like the comment on my feed was something like i expected so much more from a scenario for, about someone who as she put it, always knows the truth, which isn't the case. Charlie, she doesn't always know the truth. She just knows uh-huh. somebody's bullshitting. Right. Um, but what more? I don't know. And why, why, why you don't want a mystery? Sh- we got mystery of the week show to be a mystery of the week show. I don't know that either. I know. <laughs> so it's hard for me to understand. But and the BuzzFeed one just said, you're going to find it tiresome. And I'm like, no, nope. <laughs> nope. Never will. So I know. In year 20, if they're still doing it, going, yay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally with you for all of the same reasons. And all I can think is like the objections are rooted in the contemporary, like overplotting of stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, and I was like, yeah, each episode, which I, I totally think is, a, you know, it's fine to have a genre fucking show. Um, each episode is is interesting it's not like there's not it, there aren't interesting plot moves mm. but it doesn't have that endless like you know web of like overly complex bullshit that i don't know like marvel films have and all of these all mm. of these shows that are all plot yeah. <laughs> like yeah. this is more than just plot you know it's also like setting and mood and mm. it's got plenty of plot but it's like a it's a it's a respectable skeleton instead mm. of this like nonstop diverge. Yeah. To me, it's just like a, it's distraction. Like, but like in this other dimension, like yes, um, exactly. they have different powers. <laughs> like, shut up. I know. Let's I fucking tell one so story. Much. Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. I hate it so much. That's exactly. I hate it so much. I've always thought that this kind of thing enables you. It enables you to to do a lot of exciting things because of the very firmness of the formula. The, the formula helps you. So like an example, yeah. one of the goals of the show, and this is Johnson from an interview with Ryan Johnson, he wants every week to take, a, and this is a quote, an anthropological deep dive into a little corner of America you might, might not otherwise see. I can remember nice. being in the 80s, 90s when I was coming up watching a ton of stuff and just going, why is every place kind of placeless? It just seems like yes. any city USA, and they'll call it a city, but it doesn't look like that. It's because it didn't, they didn't give a shit. They shot anywhere it was cheaper slash easier. Often it was just they just stayed in L.A. and they just claimed it was New York or whatever. And yes. it was horrible. And so the Coen brothers were so marvelous because this just razor sharp in its observation of the details of the geography of the culture that arises out of the landscape of the characters that then arise out of that. And there's so many co-intributes um, yeah. in these shows. Holy shit. They're all over the place. And there's, you know, there's lots of little homages to lots of different movies and things that you'll recognize shows that you'll recognize, but um, there's tons yeah. of Cohen stuff. And, but, but just that allegiance alone is so Cohen-esque, like the place. Oh, so true. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's a lot of what you get before Charlie, before you see Charlie in the scenario is just what's the place like <laughs> and yeah. in, in all of these details of this. And it's going to be specifics about there's going to be almost always a workplace because Charlie's got to get a job. I mean, just, yep. just that fact alone makes me love it. She's <laughs> got to have a job because she never has any money. <laughs> you know, she gets, she's only getting shit paid, just enough to fill the tank and get her to the next town. That kind of stuff is is how, you know, barely making ends meet it is. 
And so yeah. it's all the specifics involved in, and the research just must be hell. Somebody's really doing the work here. Oh yeah. <laughs> that barbecue episode alone. Well, someone's going to have to research what is, what, what is good barbecue? And you have to find out about the different kinds of woods and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> There's just got to be millions of things that they have to find out to be able to do these shows at all. And it, and it's got to be place and job specific and the kinds of people who might live there. And it's all that kind of rich um, specificity that's so thrilling to see, especially if you came up in my era where generic boy, you know, in the worst sense was very typical. Yeah. And I will say, I, I really appreciate the way people of color are part of this oh, world everywhere. Like throughout it. It's just like, it's an effortless, you know, like melange of folks, which mm -hmm. is true to life. And uh, people do not seem stereotyped. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I just, I think it's been like, it's very conscientious about that. So that's right. cool without seeming labor, belabored without and, you know, belabored, like exactly. surface level. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like a recent one. I think it's, yeah, the second it's the Escape to Shit Mountain, the second of the last. Yeah. As, um, Stephanie H S U, I meant to look it up. Is it Sue? I believe so. Okay, Stephanie Sue, who you know made a big splash as the daughter in um uh everything everywhere all at once. once um, yeah, is has a wonderful role <laughs> as a kind of she's a, she's someone who snowboards. She claims anyway, um, but she's like thieving her way through the West, you know. So she repeatedly is stealing, and she just runs into Charlie. Charlie's you know forcing people to accept her her windshield um, <laughs> cleaning so she can earn tips because she's run out of gas at a gas station in uh -huh. wintry, you know, in the wintry mountains. Like Colorado, to get yeah. mountain. It's February now. Her her romantic <laughs> idol is over and she just wants to get the hell out of there, but she has to get enough tip money from, you know, forcing, you know, windshield cleanings on people. Um, um, and she can't, and she runs into um, Stephanie um, Sue's character, um who's also just hanging about there and she has she has an identity card from someone else she's stolen uh, and, and the name of the person is mortimer brewster and she'll just dead bernstein her. bernstein oh bernstein what if, yeah <laughs> oh, I'm the name of a character in another movie yeah bernstein and she keeps she uses it you know shamelessly saying it's a family name <laughs> and so of course charlie calls her like morty Morty, <laughs> for, yeah. the rest, for the rest of the thing but it's just, yeah. just this absolutely delightful turn like that happens repeatedly these people just get these they must just be so happy they read these these <laughs> they're you know formulaic but you've never seen a character like this kind of thing. exactly that, exactly that wonderful thing so ellen barkin just makes a meal of for example of her community theater grandiose <laughs> and you know is seeming incredible too big for the always for the for the room too big for the universe actress <laughs> in community theater doing ghosts of pensacola which yeah. is so funny i can't even tell you the, the, the third great <laughs> tennessee williams knockoff is so beautiful and there's and it does something wonderful at the end the worst calamity happens to all of her her murder plans so in the end she 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 knows the shit has hit the fan and she she turns to tim meadows and, and he's like what are we gonna do and she says we're going to use it <laughs> because she's such an actress that even is like just the worst is staring her in the face well you know you've got to yes. go out and play your big scene so yeah she does, and she does this move and everyone's in tears for the first time she's it's she brings all of her anguish into the role and it's actually moving but her last line is so i just become another ghost and then she has this magnificent pause of Pensacola. <laughs> <laughs> it is so beautifully delivered that you just had to love Ellen Barkin all over again so much. My God. Oh, she's magic. It's a, there's so many good episodes. Like I can't even, Sh should we talk about the way there's like another thing that is so smart about this show? Uh, it is like a flight from the digital, like throughout throughout oh, yeah. the show mm -hmm. it's so interesting like it's got obviously it's got a vintage sensibility but like analog media keeps reappearing in mm -hmm. every episode so like ron perlman always tapes um the goings-on audio mm -hmm. tape in his <laughs> like an old colombo episode you right, know like right. he hauls out an old recorder recorder from the 70s that ends up playing an important role and ron perlman's got this great line in tape we trust mm -hmm. and of course charlie's on the lamb so she doesn't have a cell phone and so she's living her best analog life and um nick nolte is a practical effects master mm -hmm. from like you know old uh whatever like fantasy films in the fantasy 60s and horror, 70s yeah. uh -huh. 
Yeah. Um, Cherry Jones gets caught um, on analog film, um, mm. you know, and like some frames are removed. Um, there's just so much analog, analog, analog. Mm. And at the end, we're set up for next season. I guess it's Rhea Perlman's voice on the yes. phone who's mm-hmm. going to be our new villain, <laughs> yep. who's the head of the five families, and they're mm. going to be Charlie's new enemy. And she sets it up saying, uh, we're a modern crime syndicate, and we've got surveillance all over the country. There's no corner too small that you can hide in. Mm-hmm. And of course, like this is the modern condition, right? Mm-hmm. But like Charlie is our hero because the last scene of the show is her running over her fucking cell phone, mm-hmm. which she just got back from Ron Perlman. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's such liberation. Like, mm-hmm. who doesn't desire to be free of all this constant surveillance mm-hmm. and bullshit? And like, she gets to be free. Yeah, it's criminalized. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because like you would you have to be a criminal or like way on the outside of society to escape from it but it's like a fantasy of escape from the digital and like nothing but respect <laughs> oh absolutely it's such a it's, yeah and I, i'm ashamed i hadn't even really been focusing on it but you're right it's woven into so many of the episodes it's oh, a yeah. kind of old versus new even the one one of my least favorites that i think is the, one of the least exciting is the race car driving one yeah maybe it's my own lack of interest but i don't know and i love tim like nelson who's the the main actor in it Mm -hmm. he's always great but it's just i don't know didn't grab me but there's a whole thing he's a whole history of a racing family and and the grand it was his father or grandfather i think his father his father had some sort of um i don't know x-factor driving ability that he himself doesn't have have and has always had to make up for um through you know hard work and and technology and all of these things but now of course there's a young up-and-coming race car driver who's his rival and is is routinely like beating him in his own game um Mm -hmm. and so there's this whole history of old nascar versus new you know there's there's all this kind of challenge of the new is always coming up to over to overcome and it's often represented as in a bad way (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. in a bad way even even in the case of the frost where it's the opening episode is sterling frost senior which is ron perlman and junior played by um adrian brody who's the guest (laughs) star for that episode um and he's great um but it's it's again this kind of you know the old way of doing things and the all the trouble starts because the new guy who feels dissed is going to is going to demonstrate that he can do what his father couldn't do he's going to innovate he's and he's just not up to the mm-hmm. job um so and you and you like him much less you can't help liking the ron, ron perlman guy so this is constant throwing you toward a, a preferred you know earlier era the judith yep. light episode where charlie is warned away from the two 60s 70s radicals and told don't mix with them they're horrible and you can just see in her eyes like i want to be their best friends yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a constant theme of wanting to recover aspects of a past that are more and more like impossible to find and that charlie is always after wow absolutely not, yeah that can be worth the whole move the whole show wow for sure, but and it also, I mean, I'm I'm dying to see how it comes out in season two. Mm. I hope she triumphs. Oh, I know. <laughs> but, oh, it's it's great. I, but I love. Um, it kind of dovetails with your analysis and your review, Eileen, about how, the way that like Adrian Brody offers her, you know, the chance to make it rich by mm. to by helping him out, and she's like, ah, you know, she's not really like willing to take a huge risk <laughs> to get mm. a lot of money, and it kind of makes her like a total outlier, like. You know, obviously, more than ever, people's entire reason for being is it, the only reason we, you know, try to accomplish things by we, I mean, the culture at large mm-hmm. is, you know, for profit. And Charlie, like, just can't see her way to putting in the effort. For, well, yeah. <laughs> for and well, she has a great line that gets repeated. Now you're reminding me of this. She says something like, I'm doing just fine. And that she, uh-huh. and she, pivot, and she points out, like, yeah, being desperately poor is bad. And but mm-hmm. she said, but being rich is a pain in the ass. It's not that it's yes. not that great. So, but being just fine—that's where you—that's the sweet spot where you want to be. And later, right. when she runs, she she you, there's all this tantalizing stuff that we're going to find out because we don't really know that much about Charlie, right? We don't right. know about her background. So it, it mm-hmm. really comes to the fore at the last episode where she has this run-in with her sister played by Clay Duvall. And mm-hmm. Clay Duvall is going to wind up saying, you know, Charlie's going to say, you know, once this is all over, maybe I could get to know you and your daughter better. Because he's hardly ever seen, she's seen, the, she's seen the, the daughter who's now, I don't know, six or seven once when mm-hmm. she was three. She's been really absent. You don't really know why or what's happened. But this very bitter 
um, feelings between the sisters. Something went down with the father that has to do with Charlie's truth-telling, um, lie-detecting qualities that somehow made her, as the sister calls her, ruinous. That's the word she used, her ruinous. Mm-hmm. But anyway, she, the sister says bitterly, you know, you know, in another some other alternate universe that could happen. But no, the way it is now, you've got to you chose your road and her and me, my daughter and me, we're just fine. But she says it very bitterly. So it, mm-hmm. it like adds this kind of complexity to the doing. Ju- she says we're doing just fine to the doing just fine line. So yeah. you suddenly go, wait a minute. Maybe that doing just fine is a more complicated thing. And we're going to find out yeah. the backstory on doing just fine um, was. But yes, it's, it's even, it even made one feel relaxed to hear someone, a character say that. that right. That between trying to, get, trying to make it and being poor, really poor and struggling and just, you know, you can relax into being just fine. And guess what? Of course, Adrian Brody's character says, well, you weren't really rich enough. That was your problem. Yes. You had some money for a while, but that's not really rich. Because it's like you must you must pledge allegiance to being really rich. Right? Yes, if exactly. If you don't, didn't love it, then you weren't rich enough. <laughs> so yes. then you can hear the voice of our times. He represents it. Like, no, you just need more money. Money is the answer to everything. You just need more uh-huh. money. If uh-huh. you haven't had that experience, you don't know. Yeah. Yep. In, its own, in its own little way, a real anti-capitalist show. Oh, for sure. It's beautiful. Like she exists totally outside of like networked, you know, corporate Mm -hmm. capital. Mm -hmm. It's the anti-corporate dream. I honestly, like I have Googled jobs that are not corporate so many Mm -hmm. times. (laughs) (laughs) And I I have this fantasy of existing like Charlie. I might someday. (laughs) I love this idea for you. You know, you know, she's, that's what she's there for. She's there. And again, this is getting into the richness and the complexity that formula can allow for you. You have all these areas you can then explore explore if you don't have to like worry about certain certain basics that are already there and this is part of it of like yeah she's she i remember when i first read about this of course i wanted to see it but i couldn't think i could i somehow couldn't imagine my way around what this charlie kale was going to be like yeah and she's so specific and so freeing (laughs) a figure that you realize you just haven't seen her there is no character like this truly a unique experience and it's thrilling to watch her. Just like, wow, she's just modeling a whole way of being that looks great, which I, most of my adult life, I have been seeking and not finding. Yeah, you, know? oh, you do okay. You do, I do okay. okay. But I You're often have to hark back, but I often hark back to like past figures, like old Hollywood people to say, now that's cool. I just wrote about it. You know, huh. when you do a woman's film now, nine times out of ten, I'm like, Jesus Christ, just shoot me. I I can't do this. I can't stand <laughs> it's this. Mennonite. <laughs> <laughs> just can't bear it. And then it's like, okay, now we're talking. It's old Betty Davis. Now I know where I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's it's just to have a new character like this be this striking is I can't tell you what a rare thrill it feels like. Really amazing. I'm with you. I'm with you. Very valuable addition to the Pantheon. Absolutely. Uh, d- in addition to our horizons of possibility. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and we're probably not going to do better than that, but you know we could try. Any anything else that we haven't covered? No, just like go love this show. If go you don't want to love it, I don't want to hear about it. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, don't tell us if you don't love it. Yeah, want to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that is it for our poker face show, which we are calling. What are we calling it again? We're calling it. Oh, um, we're calling it okay. poker face. No bullshit. It's good. That's. <laughs> Um, and we want to thank you all for listening. Thank you. Of course, triple thanks to our subscribers who keep us in cigarillos and a full tank of gas. If you're not a subscriber, but you like what you hear, please consider signing up with Patreon for all the films like content instead of just the half that's publicly available. You can follow news of the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us in two weeks for more scintillating film talk on Filmstock. Until then, thanks once again for listening, you guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs>